Welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ, the campus ministry service, which is awesome. So if you haven't noticed, all the folks so far that have shared or sang, which is awesome, by the way, thanks to everyone who's, uh, who did their testimony, uh, incredible job, and uh, to the contribution. Um, you know, Wuju kind of reminds me of Johnny Cash. You know, he's like, he's like I'm Wuju Lee, you know, I'm Johnny Cash. Um, but uh, that's probably the only similarity between Johnny Cash and Wuju. Uh, maybe not. The mystery, for sure. The mystique. Um, but, uh, but welcome. Good morning. Before I start, before I jump in, um, I do want to just take a moment to thank a few people. You know, we have a few people coming back in because they've been serving in children's ministry. So I want to thank Sarah, Monique, Zali, and Lisa, Vicky, and Marie uh, for serving and welcome on back into service with us. So thank you. I saw some pretty uh, awesome videos on the Facebook page of you guys singing with the kids and it looked like a blast. So thanks for doing that. That's a big deal. Uh, what's happening in there is just as important as what's happening in here, if not more important. So thank you to the servants who helped out with that. Uh, hop over to Philippians chapter 1. So today's a big exciting day because we start the book of Philippians. A lot of you may think today is an exciting day because of a game happening yeah. later. But it's not that much of a surprise who's going to win because... Uh, Liverpool is going to beat Tottenham for sure. Um, so we can just, just totally put our minds at rest about that game later today. Actually, right now. Started right now. So go Reds. Um, but, uh, but we're going to have a Super Bowl party later tonight. It's going to be awesome. 530, uh, which is going to be great. Uh, it's always a, fun, always a blast to be able to be together for that and the chili cook-off. So. Uh, but today we get a chance to dive into Philippians. We've been building to Philippians for a whole month. So there's like this whole, you probably have suspense. You probably woke up this morning, your head popped off the pillow. Today's the day. Today's the day we finally get to jump into Philippians. We had a great Troas night on Friday. If you missed the Troas night, we're going to have those videos uploaded to YouTube soon. It's just that it takes, with our internet, about five weeks to get it uploaded. So I started uploading Friday night. The first video is almost finished uploading. Uh, but I will, be, I will persevere for all of you. That could not make it. So we'll have that up uh, on YouTube by the end of the week, I'm sure, <laughs> at this point. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's big videos, high def, so it's good stuff. Um, in Philippians, what's incredible here is we get to see a very unique letter. A lot of the books in the New Testament are letters. They're correspondence. Um, Philippians, um, Colossians, um, Ephesians, Philemon are all called prison Epistles. They're written from prison. Paul writes them when he's in prison. This is one of those. So Paul is in prison about 58 AD. So if you do the math, Jesus dies around 33 AD. So this is 58 AD that Paul writes this letter to the Philippians uh, when he's in prison in Rome. So when he writes in this book, we're going to hear a little bit even today and next week about him being in chains. And that's what he means. He's actually in prison. And what's happened is Paul has a great friendship with the church in Philippi. This is a special church. Other churches, Paul writes and says things like, I was like a father to you when I helped plant the church. I was like a mother to you. But Philippians, he is just gushing with how much he loves these people as friends. You could every, you could, every time you read, you get, you get a sense of, wow, these are, they're really close friends. And one of the ways we know this is that Paul rarely took money. 
because he was afraid that if he took money for doing the ministry, people would accuse him of stealing or being a charlatan and these things. So in Corinth, you, the book of Corinthians, right, he's like, I didn't take any money from you. So stop saying I'm, you know, a che- I, I, you know I cheated you guys or a scoundrel. I didn't. Like, I didn't take any money. And he says that a lot in almost every book. I didn't take money from you. But in Philippians, he says, thanks for your repeated gifts. So Paul actually trusts the church in Philippi. He knows they won't accuse him of anything because they're so close. And not just gifts, three or four repeated gifts. And gifts today, like they didn't have Venmo back then. So it wasn't just like, let me swipe you some cash here, Paul. But they actually would basically pick a brother. In this case, his name was Epaphroditus. He's in the, later in the letter. They pick a brother. They take a collection in the church. They hear Paul's having a tough time. He's in prison. He's ha- he, he needs help. So they take a collection of mostly money, but maybe gifts. Imagine kind of the cool things you might see in there. A little time capsule probably of like little things from Philippi. They give it to a brother who's going to travel essentially the distance from here to Hampton Roads, maybe a little bit further. Uh, the risk involved in that travel, you, could, you know, the highwaymen, you know, trying to beat this guy up or anything. But what happens to Epaphroditus is he gets very sick on the journey and he barely makes it to Paul. In fact, he's almost dead by the time he reaches Paul, but he has the gift from the Philippians. And so that's why this letter is written. Paul is saying, thank you. Paul is saying it's been 12 years since the church was planted. Uh, and he writes this letter um, to be able to address some issues, but really not, not that many issues. I mean, it's not like Corinthians in, verse, in chapter 5 where he's like, and now we're going to deal with all the stuff you wrote about. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, you're suing each other. It's, it, it was crazy in Corinth. It was getting wild. But in Philippi, this really is just, this Philippians is just a book of friendship. And so it's really cool. It's, it's almost like we get a little insight um, into uh, why they were friends. It's another thing to know, and all this was mentioned Friday, but the church planting was mostly women. So this is mostly women. And even as he writes later in the book, he says, I entreat to you, Euodia and Syntyche, who are having a hard time getting along, two women. He says, remember, we were fellow workers in the gospel. So when he talks about all of you, the people he probably remembers, he's probably visited here and there. But it's a lot of women. And so that's a great testament, too, to, to the friendship with, between men and women here in the gospel. To be able to be so close, to be able to have that relationship with Lydia, with Yodia, with Syntyche, and, and Sisgis. Um, so all those are women. We don't have mention of very many men, but we know that there were a lot of veterans. We know that the Philippian jailer um, was converted, as we talked about Friday, which is a pretty incredible story. If you'd like the background on all of this, uh, just go read Acts 16, okay? It's all in Acts 16, where Paul plants the church in Philippi. But let's get started. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And let's dive on in and really read this incredible letter of friendship. And Paul just gushes with, with affection. Uh, the title of my lesson today is True Friendship. True Friendship. Philippians 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. That word slave is, is going to be really important in like two weeks. So build some suspense. But the fact that he identifies as doulos, uh, it's, a very, it's a word that just means slaves. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Imagine how you sign your, your emails. You're usually, you know, I'm like Andrew Mines, lead minister of Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Usually it's, your, it's, you know, it's like your credentials or you're like, you know, bachelor's, master's in education, curriculum instruction. But for Paul, he says, slave of Christ. Okay, this is his designation. This is his greatest designation, is slave of Christ. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You can just tell he misses them. He misses them in Philippi. At the end of the letter, when he says, uh, he, he's been in prison for a long time, he says, when I get released, if I get released, as if I don't die, uh, I'm coming to you. When, you. when you're having a hard time in life, you need to get refreshed. Where do you go? You go to the people that are going to take care of you. And so you can tell, I mean, Paul loves this church. He says, I actually long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9. And what's cool is earlier he says, I pray for you all the time. Let me tell you what I pray about. Verse 9. And this is my prayer. Here's what I actually pray about. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. You know, this is a letter about friendship. In, in, in today's society, we have a hard time with friendship. Um, most cultures don't rate friendship as the number one relationship. Um, usually, uh, the number one relationship that's kind of pushed to the forefront as important, and you see it a lot in media, is romantic relationship or family. Those are the two big ones. At this time, it definitely would have been if, for, if you're a Jew, it would have been kinship, family. If you were a Roman or a Greek, I mean, they were highly sexualized, even more than we are to this day. Uh, pretty crazy stuff with the Greeks and the, and the Romans. But the Jews would have been kinship. But rarely do you see friendship as the number one you know, relationship. Uh, and you can see this in songs. You can see it in movies. I actually did a little research here. I looked up the Billboard's top ten songs from each decade. And, you know, there's interesting which ones always tend to be at the top. Right? So in the 2000s, the number one by Billboard, uh, We Belong Together by Mariah Carey. Remember that one? Who's am I going to lean on when times get rough? Remember that one? Who's going to talk to me till the sun comes up? Who's going to take your place? There ain't nobody else. In the 1990s, you guys remember that one? In the 19, if you don't, I've ruined it. In the 1990s, How Do I Live? Leanne Rimes. Right? You know that one? How do I live without you? That's all I know. <laughs> now, I, I had to actually skip a couple in the 80s because they were a little risque. The 80s, what in the world? But they were all about, just take my word for it, they were about, uh, now you're going to look it up, they were about, you know, physical love. There it was. Physical by uh, Olivia Newton-John. That was number one, physical. So, uh, you know, in the 70s, you light up my life. I had to look that, I didn't heard that one before, but I had to look that one up. But look at, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was good. I was good until the 70s. But I was, I was born in the 80s, so I got the 80s a little bit. I caught a little bit of that. I love Back to the Future, so. But I missed the 70s. But what is, I mean, every single one, you know. Uh, think about when you're in line at the supermarket. What are the magazine covers about? Who's best friends with who? No. It's about who's sleeping with who. It's about who's married, who's getting divorced. Who's, this is what the front of the magazine. Think about movies. 
most movies have a, have a, they have to put in a romantic plot to make it appealing to you. For example, Lord of the Rings. If you read Lord of the Rings, there's nothing in there about romance. But they, it's, it's, in, it's actually in the appendices is the stuff between the two characters. who have, they, have, they had to put that into the movie so you'd watch it. Like they, they have to find because it appeals to us. That's our culture. We're, we, it's in me too. Like I, you know, I was listening to some of these songs like, wow, it does kind of move me. But it, I was even thinking about when I was younger and songs I liked you know, in college and high school. And I was like, wow, most of them are not about who my friends are. Most of them are about you know, romance. Um, some are about family, right? But even thinking about what relationship, which relationship is most important to you um, and what, how friendship is really the most powerful of all the relationships. Um, as we think about it, what the difference is, you know, with family, you don't get to choose your family. Uh, you love them, you're loyal to them, but you kind of have to be. Uh, and you don't get to choose them. I love my brother, but, you know, who's to say if he was not my brother, would I be as dedicated to him? as I am now, right? My parents, but you don't get to choose your family, but we love our family, yeah. right? Even like civic relationships, that's a big one today. And in our busy world, um, friendships are usually the hardest. They're the hardest to maintain because we, we live in a busy world where we move a lot. And so the relationships that matter are the, like civic relationships, like, uh, like networking, that matters because oh, I got to network for my job. I got to be able to have friendships. I got to have relationships. I got to have connections. Uh, family, because you can't really ever seem to avoid them, for better or worse. It's just family, right? Um, But then also, uh, uh, friendship is the hardest because it's the most intentional. You have to be intentional with friendships. And so, but it's also, friendship's crucial for all of us. I mean, listen to the testimonies. We didn't plan that. The testimonies, what they say they saw. Saw friendship. I saw relationships. I saw people. I knew, no, I've heard of God before. Yeah, I read the Bible before. Yeah, I actually went to Church of Christ before. I went to just a church before. But for all of us, what, what was it that, that made our eyes fly open when we started coming out to God's church was, oh, the relationships. I'm not saying Blue Ridge is you know, God's only church, but when you go to a, a meeting of the body where people are actually living out true friendship, it affects you. It, it pricks your heart. It's different. And, and it, it means a lot because friendship is the only relationship that you choose. Uh, and, you know, here's the thing. You're also you're chosen. By somebody else. We're all kind of hurt, too, when we're not chosen. Uh, you know, imagine you have people over. You invite, you invite it's like the, the banquet Stephen talked about. You have this big party. You invite a bunch of people, and they all say no. Uh, hurt your feelings, right? Because you, you were not chosen um, in that way. But friendship is different. You know, friendship is something in our culture that, that tends to get pushed to the back. And it's so crucial that we have friendships. Um, it means so much. You know, a lot of us like to say, even young, you know, young people, but a lot of us in our culture say, I am who I choose to be. I ah, know you don't. When you're early in life, you are, you are who your family is, sorry. And later in life, you are who your friends are. That's the way it goes. The friends you choose, that, that's who you become. So early in life, you are who your family is. Because these are the people that surround you. They're the people that influence you. And then later on in life, you, you choose friends. Josh said that earlier, right? We all did. Like, yeah, like. I uh, had these friends, and bad company corrupted good character, yeah. and that can cause us to fade. You know, when Paul writes this letter, he says, I thank God for all of you. It was customary in a letter to be able to say something like we would today, like, I hope this letter finds you well. Like, I hope you're okay. I hope you're healthy. Um, I hope you're good. Paul doesn't do that with all his letters. He actually takes that to be able to talk about how grateful he is for what God's done. But here's what's truly amazing. 
Uh, think about gratitude. We talked about a lot about gratitude Friday. The word kadis, which is the Greek word for grace. He uses grace a lot. Like grace to you. Even he makes it a hello, which is not, grace is not a hello. He says grace to you. Like it'd be like if I was like, you know, would you? Faith to you, my, my brother. You're like, what? Uh, it's, not a, it's not a greeting. Um, but Paul makes grace a greeting. He turns it into one because why not? We're going to gospelize everything at this point because I want to be able to help you understand that this is all kadis. This is all grace. This is all gratitude. This is all gifts from God. And so Paul, when he writes, he says what he's thankful for. But here's the thing. He doesn't say what he's thankful for. Paul, whenever he says what he's grateful for in any of these letters, he never talks about things ever. Whenever Paul talks about his gratitude, he talks about who he's grateful for. Always. Paul rarely says, I'm so grateful for this, 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 and this. In fact, he barely even mentions the gift they sent. He'll mention it later, but he begins not with that. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. Think about your prayers. If you've prayed at all in the last 48 hours, think about what you pray for. Do you pray for anybody? A lot of us may pray for family, or we pray for the test to go well. Or we pray for things, you know, tragedy, tragic things to get resolved. But do you pray for people like Paul does here? Do you gush with gratitude? In fact, the, the Greek is so repetitive that scholars hate this passage. Because Paul is being so repetitive that it messes up like the normal vocabulary. Like this is a literal translation. It's not quite literal because we still wouldn't get it. It's, it's slightly less of a translation, a free translation of what Paul wrote, okay? I thank my God every time I mention you. In my prayers. Always. In every prayer I pray, I pray. Look at that. Always. Look at all the extremes. Always. In every prayer I pray, I pray for all of you with joy because you have been partners with me in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure that God, who began this good work in you, through you, will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. It is only right that I should feel like this about all of you. Because you hold me in such affection. And because all of you are sharers together with me in the privilege that is mine of being in prison. Isn't that amazing? You all get to share with me in this, what I'm going through. And you know what? That's God's grace. You all get to share with me in the grace of God. Which is, by the way, that we're in prison. You're in prison with me. We're being persecuted. That is both mine of being in prison and with deep affection that comes from Christ. I pray that your love may keep on increasing still more and more in deeper knowledge and in broader perception in order that you may approve what is excellent. So when Paul prays, he's praying for these people. He prays with them. He prays for them. But what makes it, what makes it so that they're friends? Why is Paul so friendly to them? Is it because the Philippians were just amazing people? Like, is that what this lesson's about? I, got, I better be more amazing so people will choose me as their friend. Right? Is that what we feel? Because that's... That's what's going on with sexual love, by the way. Sexual love in the world is taught to be ba- it's based on feeling. Yeah. Listen to any song. I felt it for you. I was pining for you. I couldn't live without. It was all emotion. Right. So it's all selfish. Right. I want you because of the way you make me feel. Right. It's selfish. Romantic love is innately selfish. I'm sorry. You can't chalk it up any different. Unless you marry someone that repulses you in every way, <laughs> then, it's, then it is selfless. Yes. Then you have done it. But most of us don't do that. We marry people that we're attracted to, okay, that we love because of the way they make us feel. And so friendship is different. Friendship can be and should be selfless. But we can even make friendship selfish. 
and how we have each other in the world. You know, I was thinking a little bit about why Paul would feel this way about them. Why would he do it? Because I know for myself, I can constantly feel inadequate in friendship. You know, I'm not really, I'm not Mr. Compassion. Some of you know this. Uh, I'm not very compassionate by nature. In fact, uh, if you had met me when I was younger, I mean, I think it was pretty bad, um, really bad. Some of you were here five years ago when we started, but I, I praise God for any sort of growth. But I'm not Mr. Compassion. Like, I'm like, what are you talking about? Get it done. Get it done. Right? Stop it. Stop talking about it. Like, that's my natural self. So I'm not naturally like that. But, here, but the thing is, is I can feel pressure to be perfect for somebody else. So I can feel pressure to maybe they really want a friend who, who vents. Think about a friend you have that, that vents all the time. Uh, it may, you may be like, that's awesome. That's the person I want to talk to. Or you may be like, that wears me out. Um, and maybe you have a person who never vents. They never say any emotion. They never communicate any emotion ever. They just are like, let's just hang out and do stuff. It's super, super shallow. That was, that, was, that was mostly my relationships. Let's talk about sports or politics or let's talk about history. Let's talk about that movie. But it was hard to get deep. We didn't go to the emotion area. And so with friendships, we can constantly feel hurt by other people. And we can then, in, when, we, when we don't have the church, we can, we can, in the world, friendship becomes very similar to romantic love. It's just selfish. We just are with people that we, uh, that we like. We only are with people that like the same game we like. We only are around people, you know, because of, we're in the same major or because they live next door. It doesn't happen to be very selfless. And it doesn't really change you. Anyone that's, you know, with... What do they say? Infatuation lasts like three years, they say, and then it fades, right? And every marriage infatuation fades. It's got to be built on something deeper. Uh, Tim Keller says in his book on marriage, most people pursue marriage for attraction, but it's, it's wrong. You cannot pursue marriage for attraction. You should not. It will not last because it will fade. When you turn 30 or 35 or 40, whenever, it will fade. You have to build a marriage on friendship, and you've got to seek a partner based on friendship. That's the way to go. But not just friendship, because if you look at what Paul is saying here, why is he so confident in this? Why is he able to gush the way he does? Is it because of their ability? Is it because they happen to know a guy, you know, in the Roman Imperial Guard who can get him out? Is it because, is it because he just wants their money? What is it that is so amazing about the church? And he says it there. He says it in there. You know what? I'm confident that God will finish what he started in you. That's why I'm so proud of you. That's why I'm so encouraged. I hear about you still fighting the good fight of the gospel. You're still hanging in there. I'm in chains. You guys are standing up against persecution in Philippi. And they were, and they did. They were in one of the most highly persecuted areas in the Mediterranean because of the strict patriotism and like unhealthy patriotism toward, the, toward Rome, toward all of that. Paul says, you're fighting the good fight with me. You're hanging in there with me. Because the thing about tr- friendship is you can't just pursue a friendship because you want friends. You, you know, you got to have common ground. The strongest common ground. So really, what C.S. Lewis says, you gotta, you got to have truth. Friendships have to be built on truth. You have to have a bedrock of truth. The reason that myself you know, and Aaron Kripe are able to be strong friends is not that we have similar abilities. It's because we have a strong foundation, a strong mutual foundation in Jesus. The reason that we're able to have friendships that are so strong, and any one of us could, even as I wrote this, like, names kept coming to mind in the church. You know, you probably, I, I, you know, I say them all the time, but I'm just so excited to be able to 
think about them. I think, man, they're fighting the good fight. They're going for it. It's tough. And you guys can think of people in the church right now who are undergoing struggles, family struggles, divorces, right? Adultery, sickness, pain, financial pain, loneliness, depression, anxiety, persecution from people at school, people looking down on you, people calling you names, right? But here's the thing. Paul says, that's grace. You know why? Because we get a share in this together. It's brought us closer. If I didn't get arrested and go to prison, then you wouldn't have sent me a gift and I wouldn't write this letter. I'm so grateful for what God's done. Wow. I'm so grateful he set this up and I get to write to you because I miss you. I remember, remember that, that first day until now? Remember the first day and all of them probably, a lot of them could. Lydia's sitting there going, I remember the first day at the river when you spoke to me. I do remember that first day. What do we have in common? Probably not a lot. She was an independent businesswoman, right? In the fashion industry. And Paul's coming, this Jew from Israel. He probably looks very different. What do they have in common? Jesus. Jesus is who they have in common. How about the little slave girl? I like to imagine that the little slave girl from Acts 16 is in this church. And as she's reading the letter, 12 years later, she might have a family. She might have a husband. She might have kids. She might be working for Lydia. I don't know. She might have got a job. But she's sitting there going, I remember the first day too. I remember the, uh, the, the Philippian jailer. I hope he's there. I hope he's there because he's got a great story, right? right? But as they're reading this, they're also what's amazing about this is Paul doesn't say, I, I miss you because of how awesome you all did. Man, Lydia, you are so independent and strong and you really do this. And this, you know, the slave girl, we don't know your name, but whatever it is, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing great because of this, this, this. He says, no, I remember what God started in you. I remember what he began and I'm confident he's going to finish it. This is the stuff of Paul's confidence. And this is the stuff of Paul's confidence because it was the stuff of Jesus' confidence. When Jesus is about to die, the night before he dies, he prays a prayer. Remember that? John 15, 16, 17. John prays a prayer. Uh, sorry, Paul. Jesus prays a prayer in John. And Jesus prays. You remember what he prays about? Sorry. Remember who he prays for? He prays for you. The night before Jesus dies, the night before Jesus has the toughest, most difficult, most lonely night of his life, the night where Jesus will contemplate suicide, he will sweat drops of blood because of hematidrosis, that Jesus will be utterly alone, and not just physically alone, because his family will have left him. Those relationships are gone, right? His uh, business partners, as it were, in the revolution have left, right? The apostles, they've gone. People he thought were closer than brothers have gone. Even God. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is not praying, right, for things. He's utterly transparent here. But he's also utterly committed to you. It's really difficult in friendship because we can struggle to be utterly transparent, a.k.a. you vent a lot, or you can be utterly committed and loyal, but you don't really like the person or you don't really get too deep. And so we don't really know, we say truth a lot, but that's not really very compassionate. So we're either all compassion, but no truth, and all truth, but no compassion. But either way, we usually end up hurting somebody's feelings, or we just find people who are like us. But that doesn't cause growth. When you're around people who are like you, it doesn't cause any growth. It doesn't cause, but here's the thing, is that Jesus was both perfect, both perfectly transparent, but perfectly committed to you. Because not only does he pray for you, he also struggles. He says he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is able to be the perfect friend before you even knew him. You know, we don't, 
We don't get to choose our family. Uh, but in friendship, we, we were chosen. And that night, Jesus chose you. Jesus chose you to be his friend. And he says that in John 15, 16. He says, you have not chosen me. I've chosen you. He's reminding the apostles there that night. That you guys didn't pick me out because I'm so incredible. Right? I chose you. And by the way, why did I choose you, Peter? Did you have a degree in rabbinical school of, you know, you know like building revolutions in Palestine in the first century? No, you didn't. You were a fisherman. You had no qualifications. Your one qualification is that you have a rather large mouth. That is your qualification, Peter. But I chose you. How about you, Andrew? Why did I choose you? How about you, John? Looking around. I chose you. And this is the kadis. This is the grace of God. That he chose you. Christ prayed for us. He interceded for us. Christ chose us. But Christ was deliberate in his friendship to you. Friendship's one of the most hard things to, one of the most hard relationships, right? Because it's deliberate. It's consistent. What does Paul pray? He says, I constantly pray for you. How many of us have prayed for each other like once this week? Maybe. But how many of us constantly pray for each other? With every prayer. Do we thank God for each other? Do you ever thank God for somebody else in this room? Do you ever thank God for everyone else in this room? Paul says, I pray for all of you. Paul didn't know all of them, but he prayed for all of them. And you know what's amazing is that Paul and Philippi, Paul, the church in Philippi, didn't spend a ton of time together, but they had this great friendship. Because you know, the most loving thing you can do is go to God for somebody else, is pray for them. We don't have the answers. Sometimes brothers tell me things I have no idea what advice to give them, right? I don't know what to say. But the most powerful thing you can do is say, brother, I'm going to pray for you. And you know what? I'm going to th- I thank God for you because you're still here. I thank God that you come to church, that it's not easy to get to church. I, I know it's not easy to pick up the phone. I know it's not easy to deal with what you're dealing with. But I thank God for that because you know what? God's going to finish what he started. I know you don't know what to do. And I know I don't know what to do, but God knows what to do. And that's the truth. That's the foundation that keeps us to be, that allows us to be incredible friends. It's not based on what we can offer or what we can do, but we can be great friends because we have Jesus. We're able, isn't this incredible? Think about a friendship you have in the world where you're able to tell somebody that they did something wrong or something that's not, you know, they messed up. Something, a weakness in their character. Uh, And how did it go? Now, you're able in the church to be able to tell somebody straight to their face a weakness in their character. But why don't they stomp off? Why don't they get mad? Because we have a truth. It's not my opinion versus your opinion. That's what the problem is, is that's just your opinion. But you don't really get what I'm going through. We actually put a lot of pressure on other people to be perfectly empathetic to what we're going through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. Yeah, they can't. They're not you. They can never know what you're going through. Why are you putting so much pressure on them to do that? You're not that for others. You're putting so much pressure on people to be perfectly empathetic for you. You're not empathetic to them. You just, you just go out. You call them week after week for help, for help, for help. You're putting so much pressure on them. You're not that friend to others. But we don't have to be. We've got to stop trying to be Jesus for each other. And we've got to start going to Jesus for each other. We've got to stop trying to, to be uh, what somebody else needs. You know, there's certain people in this room, the best thing that we can do, the, the best memories we have are praying together. Let's pray together. Bro, let's have a D time. What are we going to talk about? I don't know, but let's at least pray. If we pray together, it will not have been a bad discipling time. If we get coffee this week, 
Yes, we can talk about our opinions or, you know, I can project onto you my, my life's worth of trauma or we can pray together. And the other things are important. Let's help each other. But I think we've got to grow in thanking God for each other. And here's the thing. Paul doesn't just thank them to their face. He doesn't say, thank you, church in Philippi. He says, no, I've, I've been actually thanking God for you, like in private for a long time now. I've been praying for you in private. You know, I want to lift up my mom. My mom is one of the greatest prayers of all time. My mom's only come to Charlottesville, I think twice. And one time she was sick the whole time. She couldn't come out to anything. But my mom, every time I talk to her, my mom on the phone, she'll ask. She goes, how's this sister doing? I've been praying for her. How's that situation? Is it resolved? I've been praying for that. How's this going? I've been praying for it. My mom feels so close to the church. She knows people's names because she's been praying for you. You may have never actually like, t- spoken to her more than twice, but she's praying for you. And that's encouraging. That's the best thing we can do for each other. The most powerful thing we can do is intercede for each other. Think about going to bat for somebody else. It takes a lot of guts, right? Stepping up for someone. If someone's in trouble, if someone needs to be able to defend them, to be able to step in there and back them up, say, don't you dare talk about, you know, Kathy Jeffers like that. That's my girl. Okay. Don't you talk about her. Like she, she's awesome. I got her back. Like to do that, it takes some confidence, right? If we didn't have confidence, you'd say, I don't know. I mean, I've never met her before and you could do what you want. Yeah, we would we had to have confidence. Well, truth gives us confidence to be able to back each other up because Jesus backed you up. Jesus went to bat for you. He interceded for you. He put his own flesh, his own soul on the line for you. And so you're able to do it for others. You're able to say, of course I can do that for you. Sure, it'll mean an hour less of studying, but you know what? Who cares? We have Jesus. Jesus died for me. Not just a physical death. He went to hell and back for me. Me. He did it for me. Have you met me? I'm not that incredible. I don't have that much going on. He died for me. The God of the universe died for me. Of course I can do that for you. And it allows you to be confident. And Paul uses the word joy 16 times in this letter. Imagine writing a letter to somebody saying a word 16 times. It's like, bro, like mix up the vocabulary. Like, get at this arts, you know, like mix it up. But Paul, you know, but Paul wants them to understand. I have joy when I write. I have joy when I pray about you. And by the way, I'm not somewhere in a villa, you know, so, soaking in the sun. I'm in prison. I could die. But when I pray about you, I have joy. Every time I remember you, I remember the time we would go down to the river Lydia and pray. Oh, that was awesome. That was so cool. Remember when we we tried to help that girl and then we got flogged in the marketplace and it was tough. It was difficult. But remember, that's how we met the jailer. Ah, That was awesome. I remember it with such joy. And we can have that same thing with each other. I think about these moments, moments for me in this church, people who stood by me. There have been tough times. I remember there there was a time when I was probably at my lowest, you know, at my lowest, and, and there were two brothers who, who literally stood next to me, literally stood next to me, called me, asked how I was doing, and hung in there. And I often think about them, and I, I pray for them with joy. I'm grateful for them. There are people in the church who've, who've done that with each other, who've seen a lot of things happen in Blue Ridge. There's been a lot of tragedy here. There's been a lot of discouraging things, a lot of broken hearts. Do we pray about it with a heart of, well, I guess we better just hope for the best. Do we pray for God to fix the situation so that we can be happy? Or are we finding the grace in what God's already done? 
And that's a tough thing. I know it's a tough thing. It's not easy. But we're able to see that, you know what? I don't know why he did what he did. I don't know why she said what she said to you. I don't know why your parents are doing this to you. I don't know why all this went down with your finances. I don't know why God's allowed you to have the infirmity that you have. But you know what I do know? That we have Jesus. And he chose you. And even if this ends, you know, you have Jesus still. Death can't touch you. God's going to finish what he started. God's going to bring it to, to completion. And Paul's prayer is actually that, you know what? I want you to know. I want you to be able to, what does he say? I pray that you will love more and more. He actually prays for them. He thanks God for them. And then his prayer for them is not to get their act together. His prayer for them is, is you know, not like, oh man, I got, he prays for them. But he also says, I pray that you can actually love more and more and more. And then what does he say? I want you to love more and more with all knowledge. That seems weird, right? How do you love with more knowledge? Like, what is it, like love trivia? You know, how do you have, how do you have knowledge about loving more? Well, the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, like prognosis or hypnosis. And the word here is epignosis, which has this idea of not just, uh, not just knowledge or trivia, but full or innate, which means it's a knowing that comes from experience or personal relationship. So Paul wants the church to be able to, to love each other deeply and to get to a point where they're actually able to love with more and more and more and more and more. A love that never has a ceiling. A love that never ends. Because you know why? The day of Christ is coming. And that's what's going to be the great telltale of all of it. Is how did you love? What is the greatest commandment? Love your God. Love God your Father. What is the second greatest? Love each other. You know, you know what I'm praying for? Is that you can love God and love each other. And church, God will finish what he started. I want to wrap up and just talk to us about how we're praying this week. How is your prayer going? How do you pray? When do you pray? When, when you pray, what, what do you say? What comes out of your mouth? Uh, who do you pray for? Uh, why do you pray for them? You know, prayer is something Soren Kierkegaard said. Prayer is more is less about changing God's mind and more about changing our mind. And I love that because we go to prayer with a heart that is kind of a, you know, a stinky heart sometimes, right? It's kind of a rotten guy down there just doing his thing. And you go to God with that prayer and you pray and you say, God, I'm struggling. I feel angry. I'm hurt. I don't know what to do. We're able to go to God and be transparent because we have Jesus. We're able to go to God and actually be angry at God. God actually can take your anger better than anybody in here can. Yeah. So stop being angry at other people and be angry at God. Say, God, I'm mad. I can't do it. I, I want to hurt that person sometimes. Read the Psalms. David did it. It's okay. I, I just want to hurt him. But the goal is, is that you don't stay there. There you go. And you know, 20 minutes later, an hour later, two hours later, you go, oh, God, I'm grateful. <laughs> actually, that person, they actually are really encouraging. I just was pretty frustrated this morning and I hit my head in the shower and all this stuff. And you're like... But get your heart there, you know. Prayer is, is, a, is a path from struggle to delight. Like, we got to go to prayer. We think we can go, to, go pray once we already feel good. So you don't go to God when you're like, oh, I'm, I'm content. You go to God when you're hurting. I need help, God. But here's the thing. I want to encourage all of us in our prayer to pray with thanksgiving. Right. To, that word thanksgiving is eucharisto. It's the same word, right? For, it's very similar to grace. Caris, eucharisto. So thanksgiving is grace. 
So God's grace is not so that you get to go to heaven for free. The religious world has taken it and destroyed it. The word grace is not a, a license for you to sin as much as you can and then go to church and feel something emotional or have your feelings kind of pricked by some song that moves you. That is not grace. Grace is that you, deserving death, Jesus, instead of punishing you, has given you not just freedom, but he's given you adoption into the family. And Jesus, knowing that no matter how much money you get, no matter how much success you find, no matter what, how beautiful that husband is or how beautiful and successful the kids are, that you will never, ever be fulfilled with that. They can never fill the God-shaped hole in your heart. They can never bring completion. The world promises it, but the world does not deliver. God will finish what he started, but the world will not finish what they started. So many people, so many get to the end of their life and they say, I, I, I miss, I didn't have friendships. They did an interview of 100 Harvard grads in the 40s. They interviewed the same 100 Harvard grads, okay, when they were all in their 80s or 90s, and there were, some of them had passed by then. But they interviewed them and said, what is your biggest regret in life? These are CEOs. These are people who, who have everything they ever wanted. They all say, I wish I had more friendships. I'm lonely. I don't have people who love me. People crave friendship. People come to church here in Blue Ridge who have really no interest in God. But they come. I'm like, why do you come? Well, because they want friendships. Like, we crave it. There's a reason we crave it, because we are made in the image of God. And God's a trinity, right? God needs Jesus. Jesus needs the Spirit. The Spirit needs God. It's a beautiful dance, right, of the three. They need each other. We need each other. We need to be grateful for each other. We need to pray, God, I'm thankful for Rashawn and Devonda. Man, they are such a blast. They're always a bunch of fun. And they work hard. And Rashawn, she's always giving and excited. And Devonda's always asking you deep questions. You know, and I'm, I'm thankful for the Kings. You know, I'm thankful that I get to go watch Liverpool games with Kenneth and talk about deep things and talk about being, you know, relatively new marrieds here. I'm grateful that they invited us over for dinner. And that was a blast. I'm grateful for Jesse Lee. I'm grateful for Monica Chill, who decided instead of going off and working and making money to stay in Blue Ridge with teenagers. I'm grateful for all the interns and the sacrifice they made. Is this our prayer? Because just praying that by the end of thanking God for people, you might think, oh, I'm about there. I'm about done. I actually feel a lot better. It actually helps you see God's grace. God's grace is you. God's grace is Aaron Stevens and Monica Scott. God's grace is us. Do we see that or do we put each other down? Do we try to avoid each other? And do we get impatient with God asking for him to give us things? Because God's grace is manifested here in this room. God's grace is each other. And I want to encourage us, church, to be able to look to Jesus for that and say, we don't have to be perfect for one another. It's too much pressure. We can't do it. But we can bring each other to Jesus. Amen. We can say, bro, let's pray. Remember the paralytics, the paralytic in Mark 2? And the room's packed, and they can't get him in, right? And they, they, they build a hole in the roof, and they come down. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, Jesus saw their faith. He didn't see the paralytic's faith. Jesus saw their faith. They brought their friend to Jesus. They said, bro, we can't heal you. I don't know. You're paralyzed. I know a guy who can. We can bring each other to Jesus. And that's true friendship. We can pray for each other in private and in public. We can pray for each other. Every time we see each other, let's, let's say a prayer. After, uh, after church is over, when we fellowship, if somebody shares something, I'm just feeling it. I don't know what to do. Instead of giving six opinions, let's pray together. I, you know, I have something to say. I have something to share. But before I do that, let's go over here and pray. 
Let's go back in the Holy of Holies here and let's pray. Let's go pray. Let's bring it to God because we have Jesus and that gives us confidence. And we're able to have incredible friendships. That's what's so great about the kingdom is there are people, right, who move away, but you still look, you look back on them. You go, man, I miss them, right? Man, I miss them. They come back and it's like, yes, they're back. I remember you, right? It's not like, oh, they moved away and they're gone. No, but I remember you. Remember those times. And then we can be a little bit like Paul. Paul was consistent. Paul was, you know, all-encompassing. I'm praying for all of you. Paul was personal because Jesus was intentional. Jesus was consistent and Jesus was personal. And so we, Paul was able to do it not because he's incredible. He saw Jesus. Paul could pray for the church in Philippi with joy because Jesus prayed for you with joy. Amen. And so just as Jesus chose us, church, let's choose each other. Let's choose to be friends with people in the world who don't know this and don't see this. And perhaps they're a little bit weirded out by it. Uh, but that's okay. I think all good things probably at first are a bit scary, a bit weird. But friendship, love should abound more and more and more and more uh, to the point where we just have a blast together because we have Jesus. You know, we're going to close out with a final song. And uh, in this song, we're going to sing Men Who Dream. We're going to sing the song Men Who Dream. And there's a great line in the song. We have a God who shares our dream. And I love that part of the song because as we sing it, let's really remember that it's not just about us, but we actually have a God who shares our dream. A dream to love the world and in that way, love him. Amen. And to God be the glory.